Good morning. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Uh, this week is the last week, um, the last normal week, I guess I should say, in our series called Next, where we've been trying to find some answers to these questions uh, that you just saw on the screen behind me, in front of you. <laughs> um, you know, I've really enjoyed this series. I've enjoyed going through it. And, and, and we've come now to this last week uh, where we're going to talk about what it means to empower leaders. And being the time of year that it is, uh, October is when River City started having public services uh, just four years ago. Uh, now uh, uh, causes me always to like have some reflection over where we've been, uh, where we're going, what has God done. Uh, and then because I, uh, like you, I assume, am a human, um, sometimes that leads to like regrets, right? Uh, sometimes that leads to even feelings of like failure. Um, in particular, I think, like, as I came uh, to this thing that we want to be, uh, this, this idea that we want to empower other leaders here at River City Church, um, and as I started to reflect on what we've done, I just started to feel some of these feelings of, like, fear and failure. Um, and I'm not going to cry, uh, even though it is uh, apparently Be Vulnerable Week here at River City Church. We like to have themes on accident. It happens from time to time. Uh, I might cry, that's not a lie. It wouldn't be completely off base for a normal week. Uh, but I do want to say, like, uh, heading into this message, man, there's just a part of me that just feels uh, guilty. There's a part of me that feels like I'm not enough. Um, and, and here's the thing. I think some of the reasons I feel those things are true. Like, there are things really that we can do differently here at River City Church to do a better job of inviting a multitude of different people uh, to lead and, and, and to run forward on mission here together. But uh, the feelings of like shame and failure and, and guilt, those aren't true. Um, and, and so I, I don't know how you're going to feel today as we walk through these things about, about your place here at River City. If you've been here for a while, maybe you're going to feel some of those feelings of like, man, why haven't I been like that? And I just want to encourage you that you can hold both of those things in your hands, and I'm going to try and do it too, okay? You can both be like, man, I don't want that to be true of me in this next season. And at the same time, realize that because of Jesus, God still looks at you and is pleased with you. That you have nothing to prove. You don't have anybody to impress. Uh, you only have tomorrow to walk forward in faithfulness. Uh, where I want to start today is Exodus chapter 18. Um, I actually didn't plan on this being uh, a large part of what we were going to do today, but as I was reading through a few things this morning and reflecting, um, this passage like stuck out to me uh, as God kind of calling uh, me out, maybe calling us out as a church for some of the ways that we have operated over the last four years uh, as a church plant. Exodus 18, we'll start in verse 17, and I'll read through 23. It says this, uh, What you're doing is not good. Put that on a pillow, mug. What you're doing is not good, Moses' father-in-law said to him. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you. Because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. Now listen to me and I will give you some advice. And God be with you. Uh, you will be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to him. 
Instruct them about the statutes and laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people available, available men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophet. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They should judge all the people at all times. They can bring you every major case, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load, and they will bear it with you. If you do this, and God so directs you, as God so, and God so directs you, you will be able to endure. And also, all these people will go home satisfied. Uh, this week, we are talking about being a church that is empowered, uh, which I'll, I'll read you the, the statement that we hope is true here. Uh, identifying and developing a qualified, mature, and diverse group of leaders throughout the church. Developing uh, and a qualified, mature, and diverse group of leaders throughout the church. Uh, this passage sticks out to me for so many reasons. Uh, first of all, just it was a slap in the face kind of passage, right? Like, hey, what you're doing is not good. And, and this is Moses' father-in-law, which I don't know if you have a father-in-law, but that adds some seasoning to it, doesn't it? Like, I don't know whether or not, like, I think if God tells me, like, hey, what you're doing isn't good, I'm like, I know God. But if my father-in-law tells it to me, I feel differently about my father-in-law than the Lord. I don't know about you. Maybe that's not true for you. That's true for me. Moses' father-in-law comes to him and says, hey, what you're doing is not good. But he doesn't do this in a way to tear Moses down. Uh, he doesn't do this in a way uh, to make Moses feel guilt or shame. Uh, listen to the concern. He says, you are going to certainly wear out both yourself and the people who are with you. Uh, here's why I felt some of that guilt and shame uh, about what happened, was what happened at River City Church here over the past four years. Um, I, and forgive me that I'm going to say I too many times, at least in this intro. We'll get away from it soon. I've been in too many things for too long. And I think there's a reason for that. I think, like, uh, we have been through several different really strange seasons. Like, church planning is a weird thing, right? Um, I was watching back this week. Um, one of my kids was like, hey, my friend on the bus Googled you. And I was like, why? Why would this happen? They're like, oh, because, like, we were Googling each other's parents. And, like, uh, they had found, like, this original video from when we announced that we were going to uh, be a part of planting a church in Grand Rapids. And one of the things that I was struck by, like, when I saw that thumbnail, nail was it was just me and my wife Sarah it was just us and I saw that because I thought like that's ridiculous right like uh, in no way was it just Sarah and I that planted River City Church but it was us that we kind of started with uh, we were the first people who came here it was just us uh, really small church service um, lots of fighting you know because we're a married couple uh, not really uh, but like it, it was just us now quickly this team grew and like uh, some of you in this room were a part of like the very beginnings of planting River City Church, and I'm so thankful for that. But because we were a church plant, because I was the only one like on staff, this is my full-time job, man, I was just in a lot of things. Like It was necessary for me to build systems, to understand how everything worked. Um, being a new church plant, there's like a bit of transient, transientness of people coming and going, of moving to different places. And so I needed to know how things went, and I needed to be the one that built some of those systems. Uh, and then we actually got a little bit better at that, and we started to like put people in other positions. Um, and then the whole pandemic thing happened, which we don't need to dwell on. We all remember that already. That's not too far ago that we need to talk about it. But it kind of shut us down, and everybody moved out of their roles, and it was like, okay, we're doing a whole new thing. We're doing online church. Um, it was just me and the building, and that was gross. Hated that. 
don't want to go back uh, to just me sitting here alone. This is too big of an office for one guy uh, to be in. Uh, but we pulled out of that period, and I think something happened that, that I just, I don't know. I think fear. I think feeling like, man, I know how many of us like came out of the pandemic just tired. Like, not, not just what happened because of COVID, but because of uh, the political climate that we found ourselves in, because of uh, the tension around, like, uh, boiling up, like, deep-seated racial issues and the pain that some of us were feeling for the first time uh, and some people were sharing uh, with the world and, and having heard for the first time and, like, just, just the, the, the ick that we kind of felt as we had to reckon with so many painful and difficult things as we saw, like, a hatred and division uh, both get put in front of us and seem to multiply. Like, what a difficult time. And so I think I had this sense of like, man, we are tired. We are burdened. I can't ask people to do more. And so I just continued to stay a little bit in everything. Continued to own some things that, if I'm honest, weren't because I was afraid of whether or not people had capacity for. Just continued to own them because I liked them. There were things that were fun to me. Uh, the worst thought I was the only one that could do them. And that's honestly kind of where we're at today. And I think that's why this passage in uh, Exodus, uh, Moses' father-in-law's words, struck me so much. Because the truth is that these things are and have happened occasionally, where I've worn myself out. Uh, and two, because it's not all about me. And this is where we'll depart from the eyes, I promise. I'm uncomfortable already. Uh, that it, it's not good for everyone. It doesn't just wear out that leader. It wears out the people around him who don't know what they're supposed to do or what their role is or what kind of ownership they're supposed to have. And so I am so thankful uh, that, that as our uh, elder team who has been in this together thought through these issues, as we planned and thought about what has God want us to be, that quickly this concept of wanting other people empowered to actually lead and own what they were doing uh, uh, filtered its way to the top of our priorities for the next three to five years. Uh, it is our heart that in the next three to five years, we would identify and develop a qualified, mature, and diverse group of leaders throughout the whole church. That in every level in which we lead, uh, that we would exist in plurality, uh, meaning multiple people would be leading alongside of each other, and that we would truly empower people. And so we're going to work through those first couple things. Uh, what kind of leaders are we trying to see empowered here at River City Church? Uh, what does it mean to be these things? So first we'll start with qualified. Uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, you can watch on the screen, you can use your phone or the Bible if you have it with you. First Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we'll start at verse 8. Uh, this is Timothy uh, being addressed by the apostles. Apostle Paul, um, instructions to him as to how to raise up deacons. It follows some instructions towards uh, how to raise up elders in the church, but we're going to focus here on these leaders. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, uh, verse 8 says this. Deacons likewise should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical and not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first if they prove blameless. Then they can serve as deacons. Wives, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be the husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in their faith that is in Christ Jesus. 
Uh, as I said, this is uh, Paul's words to Timothy. Uh, Paul was an apostle. He was uh, a church planner first, like a guy that was starting churches in the early church. Uh, and then he transitioned to instead be an equipper of other church leaders uh, around the whole region. In particular, God called Paul to a specific ministry, mostly to churches that were serving uh, Gentiles or to very mixed communities of Jews and Gentiles, while other apostles were more focused um, on the church that was mainly in, in highly Jewish areas. Uh, one of the things that Paul talks to Timothy about a lot, he talks to Titus about it, he talks about it whenever he writes any church, is leadership. He talked to Timothy a lot about what it meant to establish leaders in the local church, both, uh, both the type of people who are qualified to serve as well as what to do uh, when bad leadership happens. Uh, and Paul addresses formally two offices frequently in his writing, the offices of elder and the officer, offices of deacon. Um, elders, this is also used simultaneously with the word overseer uh, or the word pastor in our context. Uh, these were people who were called to protect the teaching of the local church, to be servants in spiritual care, uh, and to offer leadership and decision-making in the local body. As I said, if you back up a few verses, that's what he's addressing first in this passage in First Timothy. Uh, this passage, though, he's addressing deacons. Uh, deacons were the other office, uh, an office that we have not uh, expressed clearly yet at River City Church, but we hope in this next season is one of the starting places for where we go next in terms of empowering other leaders. Uh, deacons are those who work uh, primarily in the affairs of the church, uh, managing ministry and, and caring for other people. It looks like deacons had a wide variety of tasks. Um, and, and I want to stop here and say for a second, like, uh, I know elder is probably a churchy word, pastor is a churchy word, but deacon feels like a super churchy word, right? Uh, and I'll tell you, man, I have bent over backwards for a new fancy word, but I've got glasses now as of this week. If you don't know me, this is a new thing. That's because I'm old and I can't see anymore. And I'm also done coming up with new fancy words, okay? Like, we're just going to use this one, okay? Deacon. That's the word. That's the English translation of the word here. So we're, we're going to use it. If you don't like it, man, get creative and make me one. You can email it, okay? To Troy at RibCityChurch.com. <laughs> or should I change your email to Buzz? That'd be good. Troy is our pastor of uh, hospitality and uh, Disney. That's his official title here at River Street Church. Uh, deacons are those who worked in the affairs of the church, primarily in like the management of the actual ministry of the church quite often. Uh, in particular, in the uh, New Testament, the church was involved in a lot of care ministry towards those who were uh, widowed or those who were uh, poor. Uh, deacons often were instruments of a lot of that ministry, freeing up the leaders to do other things. Uh, for leaders serving in ministry, uh, there is a call that they would model this following after Jesus. Uh, now, the words that are listed here aren't unimportant, right? Uh, like the, the words in this passage, as specific uh, terms are given, like as we see, like not addicted to wine, not hypocritical, not greedy for money, uh, those type of terms that are listed here. They're not unimportant words, but I want you to see is, is that sometimes we can do this thing where we, we get too caught up in like going through this list and trying to dissect every single word. And that wouldn't be unprofitable for you, but instead what I want you to see that I think Paul is doing is he's trying to paint a picture of a kind of person for you, okay? He's trying to say, hey, people who serve in this way, this is a picture of what 
they look like. Uh, I want to address one a kind of textual thing in here. Uh, we use the CSB. I think it's a really faithful translation. Uh, I think, like, man, we live in an era where, like, translations abound, and almost all of them are really, really good. But people handle uh, the feminine word here um, in verse 11 differently. Uh, the CSB is chosen to translate it as wives. Um, Humbly, that's not my favorite way to address this because the word there is deaconess. Uh, and you can even think of that in a few different ways. And I think what they're trying to do is to avoid some confusion. But, but what I think is going on here in this passage is that specifically Paul is trying to address uh, women maybe who are serving as deaconesses alongside their deacon husbands. But I think there's a very strong uh, possibility that he's also just addressing women who were deacons irregardless of what their husbands we're doing. I uh, really do believe, and, and we see from Scripture, people serving in the role of deacon across male and female lines. And so what I want you to do when you read this is, is to read even even that, that word uh, women or wives or deacons, nesses that's there, and see that because he says the word likewise next. He's just, I think, saying all of these things also relate to women in this role. He's saying, hey, deacons need to look like this. Also, deaconesses like, need to look like this. And then he switches back to deacons. And he's not drawing distinctions like women need to look like this. Uh, men need to look like this. But instead, drawing this whole picture of this kind of person and the way that they should live, regardless of gender. He does give some specific instructions under that male category of the way that they treat their wives and that, their family. And I do think that's because Paul consistently emphasizes uh, a, a, a male role in that level of family uh, authority and protection. But, but this is a role uh, that, that we believe is open to men and women, and these instructions apply to any of us trying to serve uh, in, in some sort of deacon-level ministry. So not getting too caught up in, in the nitty-gritty of it, uh, I want you to read that list as we're, as we're talking here for a moment before we move on, and just think through this. Uh, River City desperately needs leaders who are qualified in, in a spiritual sense. Those who, who lead their lives and serve the church uh, as a follower of Jesus and their lives clearly testify to that fact. I think this is Paul's primary concern. Paul is not trying to say that elders or deacons are who you should aspire to in the local church. Can I say that again? Paul is not trying to say that the person or people that you should model your lives after are the elders and deacons of your church. Now, pretty clear from Scripture, there's only one person you're supposed to try and model. There's only one person whose life leads to joy, fulfillment, and peace, and that is Jesus himself. That is Jesus himself. Leaders in the local church, though, as those who exercise some spiritual authority, who serve on behalf of Jesus, ought to have lives that testify to their walk with him. So there is a sense in which uh, uh, leaders in the local church, be that an elder or deacon or someone serving in another way, should, should have it some exemplariness in their nature. But they are not our example. If, if they become our example, uh, then when they sin, uh, when, when they mess up, when anything happens, uh, our kind of house of cards tumbles. Instead, we ought to all look to Jesus as the one who, who is the author and perfecter of our faith and the one whom we follow and model. Qualification is important. It is a way to see the life of a servant in the church and know that they are following the Jesus that they say they are following. Uh, but it is not because they ought to be our standard of spirituality and care. 
We need leaders who are qualified, who model uh, a life that is clearly walking with Jesus. Uh, Secondly, we need uh, elders, deacons, uh, leaders in the church who are mature. We're going to jump back to that Exodus passage, uh, but we'll just start at verse 21, uh, Exodus 18, 21. Uh, You should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophets. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They should judge the people at all times. Uh, Then they can bring you every major case, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load, and they will bear it with you. If you do this as God so directs you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will be able to go home satisfied. Uh, I want to focus uh, to start on that last section in verse 23. Uh, God's direction, uh, God's enabling of multiple people leading in multiple ways leads to leaders in the local church who can endure. And it leads to people who are satisfied in the community and the body that they are a part of. Okay, Now, now careful with that word satisfied. That doesn't mean like Man, all my needs are met, and someone poured creamer in my coffee when I walked in, and they knew the exact temperature that it was supposed to be at, right? This doesn't mean we serve every varietal of tea that you might enjoy. This is not a consumeristic satisfaction thing, right? We're not talking that kind of satisfied. We're talking about your soul, okay? Uh, In particular, like, think about who this is written to. This is written to Moses. This is a completely different thing than the church, right? Because this is the nation state of Israel. The task that was handed to Moses as he wandered the desert with the Jewish people, uh, thankfully, is really different than the task that we've been given here with you. Like, I don't have to care about how you're governed, right? That's not my job, okay? Like, I'm not trying to establish authority and courts as a leader in the local church. That's not who I am. I don't even have to worry about what I feed you other than next week, right? Uh, For Moses, he had a lot on his plate. Get it? Plate. Terrible. He had a lot to do. (laughs) Like, go find a new church. Like, that, that was awful. He had a lot to manage. And so in particular, this call to Moses was very crucial. That he had a people to take care of. But uh, I think the, uh, the concept really does transfer. Uh, This body, what we do as a part of the local church, it is really, really important. Like, it is where we are to find community in Christ. It is where we are to feel like we are a part of the movement of Jesus in the world. This is where you're supposed to find that identity. It is where you are supposed to be reminded when you are prone to forget that the way of Jesus is better than the way of the world. That it satisfies, whereas the way of the world leaves us broken in pain and still desirous of comfort, peace, and joy. It is the place where we are supposed to go out on mission to invite other people to find the satisfaction in Christ, the provision for our sin that we have only found in Jesus. The local church is hugely important. And so these words here, the wise words from Moses' father-in-law, that we ought to be a place that we bear this burden of leadership together must apply to us because it's wisdom. This is how leaders endure. So so in my notes, I said Moses gets schooled by his father-in-law, and he gets schooled in a few different ways. Um, he He calls Moses to enable people to lead and to own what their capacity allows. I love the way that, that when he, he gives to Moses, hey, here's, here's how you're going to select leaders, and here's what you're going to do. He says, hey, hey, you're going to choose people who can lead thousands, 
You're going to choose people who can lead hundreds, and you're going to choose people who can lead tens. Now, I, I think this is great because this is an acknowledgement and an empowerment of people with different capacities to lead different kinds of things. There are those of us who are really good at top-level stuff. Like, we can see the whole picture and apply truth to the whole picture and, and think about strategy and big vision. And then there are those of us who are really good at details. And both are really, really, really important, Right? Like, I can make sometimes beautiful things that, like, capture images in a really beautiful way and have lots of details in them. And, like, I get really uh, kind of excited about, like, leading people around, like, man, how can we, like, nail down this vision into a way that's, like, repeatable and understandable? And I will work it all up, and I'll show it to my wife, and I'll say, isn't this beautiful? And she will say, there are seven typos. And I will be hurt beyond belief for some reason. Like, I don't know what it is. Uh, literally have talked about this in therapy. Uh, interesting topic for another day. But something in me is just like, I didn't ask you to look at that right now, okay? I asked you to look at beauty, and you showed me that I spelled something wrong. I was trying to think of an example there off the cuff, but like, it could literally be any word, because I am horrific at this, right? Uh, Troy, every once in a while before he prepares, um, questions for city groups to talk about during the week says send me your notes and every time he does that like a little piece of me dies because I'm like this was not supposed to be for other people like whoever runs the computer has a copy of my notes and it's like a trusted thing and I make sure that goes in the recycling fast right this is sad people have different capacities people are good at different things and I think there's some acknowledgement of that here uh, he calls Moses to enable people to lead what they are good at to put them in positions that their capacity, whether that be uh, their, their talents and what they're good at, or the, the amount of time that they have. He, see, he calls uh, Moses to, to enable people to serve in those ways, and then he calls for ownership in that service. Uh, to be honest, this is something that, that I really want to grow in. I want to grow in the ability, and this is part of that empowerment term, I want to grow in the ability to hand things away and then both trust as a well as offer people the opportunity to own it. To not follow up other than to care for that person and to not micromanage uh, to make sure that it's up to what I desire it to be. Because what I desire, what you desire, what any one of us desires is not the most important thing. We need a variety, as we'll jump to in a second here when we talk about diversity, we want a variety of perspectives and skills being involved in different things here in the church. And I think that's part of what Moses is being told that he ought to allow for. He's being told, hey, have these people think about the law that God has given to us. Have these people think about how we want to live in this society and how we want to relate to each other. Have them know it, have them memorize it, and then they can deal with it at a variety of different levels. And he tells Moses, like, hey, there, there are still going to be places where you in your leadership capacity are uniquely called to step in, right? He says they can bring you stuff that they can't filter through, but stop being involved in every single thing. At River City Church, we need leaders who manage their task, who own their responsibility, and who are reliable in those things. We need leaders who are mature. We've talked about leaders who are qualified, leaders who are mature. Lastly, we need leaders who are diverse. All right. For time's sake, I'm actually not going to read this whole passage, but we're going to throw it up here, okay? This is Romans chapter 16. It spans like three slides, uh, and we'll hit a couple things. Here's all I want you to see. I want you to see a few things in this passage as you look at it here. Maybe you have it in your Bible, Romans 16, uh, 1, all the way through 15. I just want you to notice the names, okay? 
Uh, maybe I will read it. Let's just go for it. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deacon at the Church of Centicree. I ask you to receive her. I'm going to read it fast so you'll keep up with your eyes, okay? Maybe you don't have glasses. You should get them. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help that Meshavi may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Uh, greet the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epitaeus, who is the first convert to Christ in the providence of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Uh, greet Agronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been with, with me in prison. They are outstanding among the many apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Uh, greet Ampapilius, my, I don't know how to say that one, I made that one up. Just Am, Rob, he's not following along. He's better Greek than me. That A name, my dear friend in the Lord, uh, greet Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Sakaius. Greet uh, Apelles, who's following, you get the picture? So many names. And if you look at these names, you start to dissect what they are. Uh, first of all, we're obviously seeing men and women. Uh, second, we are seeing Greeks, Jews, and some other names of mixed origin in this passage. Here's my point. Look at all these people. All of these people Paul is recognizing in some way for the leadership and service that they have exercised in the church at Rome or in the region around it. Notice how many different genders and cultures. Uh, notice not just that, but notice how many different previous types of lives are referenced here. Notice people that we see in the stories of the Gospels leading up to this moment. Uh, the leaders of just this microchasm of the church at Rome. And if you look at any book, there's a list, uh, any book that Paul wrote anyway, there's likely a list of people that he is referencing and thanking and, and talking about their contributions. And they are all over the place. Uh, I would offer you this. We live in a time in which it, 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 we are constantly bombarded, rightfully so, with reminders of how we have blown it on treating other people from other places who look differently, have different socioeconomic bathrooms, different abilities, different genders. We are constantly called out for our lack of caring for each other. And that's good because we need a reminder of that. But I will say this. What happened in Rome? What happened throughout the scripture in regards to the number of people from different backgrounds and different places serving together is something that we cannot ignore. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. I would say that, that maybe so far as to say it is only in the church of Jesus that we can see such beauty in diversity at every single level of the organization. It is amazing. to me. So many different kinds of people. People who hated each other. Like the, the, the boldness with which Paul proclaims that Jews and Gentiles ought to get along. The way that Jesus uh, uh, speaks to a Samaritan woman at the well. And you just read this story and you're like, wow, cool. Jesus knew a lot about her. No. Jesus is blowing your mind that he's speaking to a woman. And he's blowing your mind even further that he's speaking to a Samaritan. The way that the Bible calls us to have different sorts of people serving in the unique ways that only they can serve from their background, their experience, is just stellar. Look at all these people. This has to be true at River City as well. We need all kinds of people to lead right now and even more in the future. 
Um, as we pursue uh, this objective of desiring to be a church that better reflects the diversity of Grand Rapids, as we seek to know and love our city, uh, we want to reflect that in the way that we are led. Um, it's beautiful. I say this, like, because we've got to keep moving. If we at River City have a plethora of leaders who are diverse, who are mature, who are qualified for the roles that they are in, then any fear and doubt of what we have accomplished or what we might accomplish, and I think is going to be erased by that mark of God's goodness in front of us. If we have a group of leaders empowered to do ministry because they love Jesus, because their lives have been so moved by him, if they, if they are qualified morally following after Jesus, if they are mature in the way that they lead, if they are diverse and look like a whole bunch of different kinds of people from different places, that's a limitless potential that, that I can get really excited about. Now that said, before we move to conclude this, talk about some action steps. I fear maybe that, that in some of these descriptions, uh, we've made this seem too lofty and too big. Like maybe, maybe you've just heard some of these things and you're like, I'm not sure I fit in there. And, and don't hear me wrong, I don't think every person in the church needs to or has to want to be a leader, right? I think every single one of you wants to need to lead. Like we, we all ought to serve. We all ought to bring our gifts to the body. We all ought to lead ourselves. Uh, if you're in a, in a family unit of any sort, like you have a call to lead in your family and that's all beautiful. But, but I don't want you to think like, man, maybe it's not the season. You don't desire to lead. I don't want to put something on you that God hasn't put on your heart. But, but if there's a tinge of it, if you're like, man, I have some skills. There maybe are some places I can lead and, and you're hearing this in this moment being like, man, I don't think I'm all that. Well, good, that's humility and that's the fruit of the spirit and your life to call you and remind you that you're not all that because none of us are. That's why we need God's help and grace so much. But, but I just want to draw a few pictures of you of what a leader can look like. Uh, I want to call you to a faithfully present person. I want to call you to generous supports. I want to call you to uh, behind the scenes encouragers and enablers. And I want to call you to, to being a leader of leaders. These are just four pictures of what leadership might look like. Um, first, a faithfully present person serving in the realm that God has given them. Um, a few of us in this person know who this person is. Uh, Steve, where are you? Sarah's there. You know, you're both there. You guys remember Aunt Ruth? Who Aunt Ruth is from your childhood? So you might you might not be in there because you, you aged out for a couple years, but Steve would remember Aunt Ruth. Uh, the church I grew up in, Steve and Sarah grew up in for a time too, uh, there's this lady named Aunt Ruth. And Aunt Ruth taught the like preschool, kindergarten, Sunday school class for I think seven or 800 years. Um, <laughs> and she both aged and didn't age at all. It was crazy. Uh, and here's what I think about when I think about Aunt Ruth. Man, I was actually talking to Justin about this earlier this week um, and thinking about her like... Um, and I think about her faithfulness and her ownership to that class that so many people would think maybe that wasn't worth her time. Aunt Ruth was there. And every single person that, that, that grew up in this church uh, that, that went through that age range, they knew who Aunt Ruth was. And they remembered some of the songs that she taught. When I think about it, like, man, who taught me the first like, verses of the Bible that I ever knew and remembered? It was Aunt Ruth. Now, Aunt Ruth's name isn't on a plaque. She didn't write any books. 
uh, by all measures of like how we think about church success and leadership, maybe Aunt Ruth didn't seem that important. But I know almost no one who was more faithfully and consistently present over tens of twenties of years in the ministry to which they felt called. You might be called to be a faithfully present leader in the realm in which God has called you. And I don't know what that's going to be. Maybe that is a kid's classroom. Maybe that's worship ministry. Maybe that's hospitality. Maybe that's uh, something even outside of like what we do on Sunday mornings in city groups. Maybe that's not even leading a city group. That's just being like a always there faithful presence to point people to Jesus. Being faithfully present, handling with responsibility and maturity the thing which has been placed in front of you is a beautiful way to be a leader of the church. Next, maybe you're called to be a generous supporter. Uh, the illustration I'm going to give is financial, but I want to make sure we acknowledge, like, man, this could, be, this could be your time. This could be your emotional capacity. All those ways we talk about generosity. But I want to tell you about Glenn and Karen Kinder. Uh, um, now, we didn't usually do something like this, but Glenn and Karen are, aren't actually a part of River City. They live in another city. Um, Glenn has actually passed away in the past few years. Um, I the honor to, like, get to be a part of his memorial. It was one of, like, it was just such an honor. Because I hadn't known him that long, uh, but what I had known, he had been a man with such deep impact on my life. Um, I remember sitting down with Glenn. Uh, he was like person number three that I tried to ask for money when we started River City Church, right? And, and I, that was not my cup of tea. <laughs> like, I felt so insecure. I mean, if I'm honest, I think like even my philosophy around asking people to give toward the work that we hoped that God was going to do was really screwed up. Like, I felt guilty about it. I felt like I was asking somebody for something of theirs when in reality, like, I was really giving them an opportunity. And that feels like silly, like, uh, church fundraising speech. But like, Glenn was the one who taught me that I was wrong. But that wasn't silly fundraising speak. That wasn't a tricky uh, trick to get somebody to want to invest. Glenn taught me uh, that he felt like what he had uniquely been able to do was be able to step into ministries and provide for a financial need because he so richly believed in the ministry that God was going to do. And so I remember sitting down with Glenn and like, man, I was like hoping for a couple hundred bucks, okay? Uh, and I kind of walked through what we were doing with Glenn, and he asked me uh, where we were at in fundraising, and I told him, and it wasn't that far, and the number was big. And he goes, well, he says, I'll tell you two things. He goes, one, you should probably raise a little bit more money because you never end up having the amount of money that you think you're going to need. There's always extra expenses, and growth happens slower than you think it's going to happen. He says, so I, I would encourage you to keep trying to raise money he said, but, but the gap that you have right now, he said, come see me in a couple months and whatever's left, I've got it. And I was like, what? I, I literally left that meeting and I was like, I think I misheard that guy, right? Like I was like, I don't, I don't think I heard him right because we needed tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so I dialed Glenn back up a couple months later and I let him knew, know where we were at. Um, and the next thing I knew, there was a check for $50,000. That Honestly, when I think about the reason that we were able to survive the pandemic, it was because of the financial uh, head start that God gave to us because of Glenn. Uh, when we moved into this building, um, 
we scrapped every dollar and every ounce of energy that we had to get in here. Um, uh, I remember watching Camille paint the cracks in these bricks because we were trying to save money and not buy a paint sprayer. And, and she, and it wasn't just her, like many of you were out there with like a $2 paintbrush, like just painting divots for hours. And like, we gotta buy a paint sprayer, right? And so we did, and that was good. But like, we just, we we're putting everything into it and really trying like not to like uh, damage like the reserves that we have, but like embrace the fact that we've been given the gift of meeting in this space and make it uh, comfortable and welcoming. Um, and so we got to the end of that and there were all these chairs here and we're like, we're just gonna use those chairs. And we used them the first week and I was like, these chairs are gonna injure people. Like they were falling apart and they were rusty and pokey. Um, and, and so I thought, you know, I'm gonna call, call Karen and see like maybe she'd be willing to like help us buy some chairs. I said, just kind of let her know like, hey, here's, here's what God's been doing. Like we're thankful for you guys' faithfulness. I just wanted to ask you like, if you might wanna be like, help us buy a couple of chairs. And she just bought all her chairs. Just, just in a heartbeat. Generous supporters. Those who are so behind and believe so deeply in the work that God is doing that they sacrifice of their own materials, time, and capacity for the work that they believe God wants to do. Two more stories, then we'll close. Uh, maybe you're a behind-the-scenes encourager and enabler. Another story from my childhood. I grew up in a church that had like a really thriving kids program. It was called uh, Caraway Street. My parents were a part of it, um, and I'm so thankful for the way they served. But, but I think about this guy. Um, his name is Ernie. Um, he was like a second grandpa to me or like uncle growing up. Uh, Caraway Street was like a big production. It was kind of cool. Like people, uh, this was the 90s, um, so we didn't have phones, uh, and so we were into cheesy stuff. And so sometimes Caraway Street was a little bit cheesy, but there was a lot less entertainment, right? And so people would come around. Kids loved Caraway Street. They would come. It was a thriving and awesome ministry, so much so that they would like do big productions and like all the adults would come and they would like rip off the Wizard of Oz and do that big. But it was cool because it was the 90s and we didn't have a lot. Um, and you had all these people in front of the stage, right? You had all these people spending hours and hours to learn lines and make sets and make costumes and do all these fun things. And then you had Ernie and Ernie was in the background doing everything else. Uh, and I didn't know this as much until I got into more like productions and what it means to run sound and lights and, and all that kind of stuff and realized that like Ernie was doing all of that by himself, right? Um, Ernie was building scaffolding so he could climb up and have lights mounted on like these janky scaffoldings and like risk his life for this kids program. But so much of what made those things cool and like what made those scenes that ended up like telling kids about Jesus, bringing families into this church to hear more about Christ were because of the faithful work. And, and I'll tell you this, there wasn't a budget for that ministry, so that was mostly their money that they were behind those lights and behind those sound systems and encouraging and enabling and just being the kindest, kindest man I know. Uh, lastly, I want to tell you about a leader of leaders. Um, man, I, I was part of a church in Lansing called Riverview. Um, was Came on there to be a church planner resident, knowing I wanted to plant, but then came on staff there for a little while, and there was this guy named Steve Summerlot. Um, Steve was one of the guys who had, who had planted that church uh, 30, 40 years ago at that point, had moved uh, from uh, the middle of nowhere, Iowa, to the Lansing area to be a part of a church that they hoped would influence people for Jesus um, on the campus at MSU, um, which, if we're going to say that name, I'm sorry. Uh, it was a rough weekend for some of you. Um, but, man, I, I remember being in that and, like, 
I think Steve bought me lunch. I'm not, this is not an exaggeration. I think over the four years I was at Riverview, I think Steve bought me lunch at least 100 times. Um, so much so that me being like a poor, almost church planner, kind of lonely, like still figuring out, like I just knew that if it was like 11.45 and I kind of just like started to walk around Steve's office and just like see what he was doing, maybe even like twice. I, I think about this, this was like shameless. Like I knew that eventually Steve was going to take me to lunch. And that was good because I was hungry and poor, but it was, it was really good because, man, Steve was awesome. But Steve had this way of, like, taking me to lunch, and, and he would ask my opinions on things. And he would ask it in a way that, that two things happened. One, I thought he cared, right? Like, he would ask my opinion on stuff that, like, I should have no voice in, right? Like, things that, like, I had no experience in, and I, being a young buck, would give some really thought-out opinions. And he would listen, and he would never tell me I was an idiot. He'd just ask me questions. He'd ask me questions, and eventually, he'd be like, man, I think I can ask Steve questions. So I started asking Steve questions about like what I hoped to do and the history that he had been through in his life and his marriage and him as a parent. Steve gave me so much of his time. He gave me so many hamburgers. Um, but man, he made me feel not dumb, even though I was dumb. Um, and he made me feel like I could ask him anything. So I don't know who, who you are. I don't know what you're good at. I don't know what way you might want to serve here. I don't even know if you've been here before, if I'm honest. But, but when you think about leaders who are empowered, who are mature, who are diverse, who are qualified, and I hope you, maybe you see a place that you could fit in one of those pictures. Um, we'll throw that slide back up. Man, here's, here's our hope, that at River City Church, we would empower leaders. Uh, that we would empower a, a qualified, uh, mature, and diverse group of leaders throughout the church that we both be able to identify and develop. And so here's kind of the next steps. Now, one, we hope that we can identify leaders. Uh, some of this is going to be you. This is going to be you showing your desire and capacity to lead and to serve in leading others here at University Church. It's going to be you uh, doing something that maybe feels, and so here, I'm going to give you permission. Like, if you would like to have a part in this in some way, if you're like, man, I would like to lead, I'm going to give you permission to, to talk to me, to talk to Troy, to talk to Rob, uh, and to say, hey, I would like to lead in some way. I would like to think about what it might mean for me to lead in the future. I'm giving you the permission to tell you you're not being presumptuous because we've asked you to identify yourself as being willing. And being willing is a good thing, okay? We're not going to see that as a power grab or a play. And we'll know if it's a power grab because uh, maybe it won't be that glamorous right off the bat. Uh, and you'll figure out there's not much power to be had, okay, for any of us. Some of that's going to be self-elected and some of that's going to be invited. Uh, some, some people are going to say, hey, we see this in you. What, what would it look like for you to think about being raised up as we try and seek to raise up elders, deacons, ministry leaders, uh, volunteers who serve faithfully and lead those around them? Uh, this winter, uh, we, we hope, God willing, to launch uh, some sort of leadership training cohort uh, geared primarily around deacons that we wish to raise up, but also like with places for those that might <coughs> excuse me, want to serve as elders someday, those interested in just exploring leadership at any level. I'd encourage you as we talk about that, as we offer that as an opportunity, think about giving your time. It, it will take some time. We won't make it crazy. It's not going to be like every single uh, day or maybe even not every single week, but it will take some of your time and some of your effort. You will have to buy a book or two. If that's a big problem, we will help you. But like we want you to have skin in the game in this. We're going to develop leaders.
Uh, second, we want to empower leaders. Uh, truly, we want to hand over ownership and responsibility. We want to invite more people in to be creative brainstormers, to take control of the things that have been handed to them. Uh, this comes back to where I started with. Uh, I haven't done a great job of this, which me personally in particular. Um, and, and, I, and like I said, it leads to even some fear. Uh, some of us who have been leading some things have to step back. Not just me. Some of us have to step completely out of roles so that other leaders might step in and flourish. There might be some things at River City Church over the next three years that appear initially worse. Okay? There might be some misses. Some things might not work the way they used to work. And that is good. Because our desire is not to put on a perfectly polished show for you on Sundays. This isn't entertainment that we do. Our goal is not that everything that we do would reflect a level of professionalism outside of our desire to just do a good job because of the good God that's in front of us. Instead, we want other people to learn, to lead, and expand, and grow. We seek to both empower and enable people to own things, and sometimes that means opportunities in a safe place to make mistakes. We want to both hand people the tools to lead and then step back that they might have the power to do so. And so like I said, this is the last week uh, formally of teaching through this series called Next. Um, I, I know last week's sermon didn't get thrown up on YouTube, but it will this week. We do have that, and, and Lord willing, we have this week's as well. If, you, if you've missed any of these and you'd like to go back, man, I'd encourage you because this is the stuff that we want to be. Um, as you exit this morning, like uh, take a look at those things in the hallway. Take a look at our vision, who we hope that God is shaping us to be in our city and in our lives at this church. We've laid out some really ambitious plans, and I want to remind you that our goal is to stay sustainably and slowly, faithfully seek out becoming these things over a long period of time. Uh, no good change, no growth happens very, very quickly. It happens over time with investment and care and planning. And so we hope to continue to point to these things. These will be things we return to. So this is our last week of formal teaching on these things. We'll close here in prayer in a minute. But but next week, part of what we're going to do during that service, where we share a meal, where we sing, uh, the teaching that we will do and, and the prayers that we will have will be largely around uh, kind of solidifying and, and asking for God's help in this vision. So I'm, so I'm excited about next week. I'm excited to eat together, but I'm even more excited uh, to think about uh, what is next for us and to celebrate that as we head into the next season here at River City. So uh, let's pray. Uh, the band will come up, we'll sing, and we'll celebrate communion together. But God, thank you for how richly you've cared for us even in today. Uh, thank you, God, how uh, often you delight in both showing up, uh, Lord, and you delight in showing through our weakness and where we feel vulnerable. And so, God, I pray uh, that, that you would be the power. God, that you would be the encourager that you have promised to be. God, as we, as we faithfully try and be who we believe you have called us to be here at River Cities, we try and grow in these areas of being a people formed in Jesus. We try and grow in having positive local impacts. We try and grow in reflecting the diversity of our city as we seek, Lord, to multiply and see more and more people both here and in the area meet and know Jesus. And as we seek to empower leaders for that mission, God, I pray that you would be faithful, oh God, to show your power and your might and to provide as you always have everything that we need. We pray this in your name.